the easy teaching tools that we can think of when we get ready for maybe not having kids. But the last one is actually a contract. Now, what is a contract? A contract is a bar that you can work with people to write a thing, right? You have a working person write it, right? Oh, we met one already, I, I did work for New Zealand, so she did some of the stuff. Uh, but this is a firm employment contract. It's a teaching, a moment, a kind of threshold that we cross to not actually start to go into ministry. This is a course for Christian leaders that we're going to go on to kind of sort of cross here over the next few weeks. But read on with me. There's going to be one day at about 30 afternoon, not a different day, you can put these things into a contract with them and say, call me in the afternoon. And we will get it. And actually, what is it? Men learn to get paid in stages of work and men and women get paid. I think
Sunday night is our our potential payout in praying for our church. And that's for every week for us to just ask that you abide by those things. Lord, some we have to prepare them for Christmas. I think they're all kind of really unique and simple things. And in lots of ways, people say, well, I can partner. I can partner by the gift and able to provide for my parents or Babylonians or Romans. That's in partly because all of these kind of like core unique pieces of our credibility that we're expecting us to kind of build our own sense of self-identity with, right? We belong to this this person who is Jesus. Now, it's actually, I reckon it's actually more personal than that, right? Because in our day, in our modern world that we live in, it's actually kind of broken down from there that I almost feel like we're starting to, to, to kind of slide back into these kind of group identities and identities. Uh, it's got all kinds of clubs groups these days, uh, you know, and, and it's interesting because there's so much there about, well, you can't just hang out with those people because, well, they belong to that club. Oh, it's beautiful. No, I didn't mean that. Now, there's an interesting thing happening in, uh, in the internet. Uh, there's a photo that was snapped of uh, these two people. They're uh, watching sport together, uh, Ellie DeGeneres and George Bush, former U.S. president. Uh, what it broke the internet, right, because uh, random people came out and said, well, how are these two people different? They come from two complete different ends of the internet spectrum. In fact, I think Ellen actually got it the, the worst because so many um, of her of her um, tribes turned on her and said, well, how can you possibly hang out with the Republican president? No wonder those four people. And so kind of add all these barriers to kind of thinking today, and you're not supposed to go and associate with people of the other tribe. And it's a world of identity that kind of has caused that breakdown. Now, actually, I believe we can't not belong to some kind of group. Uh, in fact, lots of ways, that's a positive thing that we can actually belong to a group. We have common experience or common uh, history or struggle or culture or whatever it is. Uh, there's the, those group identities that can help us to kind of like kind of work and belonging and all of those things. It's actually much better in church. Church can help us to kind of identify with that. Right? Ephesians 2 2 is really strong because in that group identity phases, we become a shape of arrogance, superiority, inferiority. There are those moments in our spiritualness where we, we start to then demonize other people. We want to say instead of putting put them to use, we separate them. Church. The next day, Peter tells us in Acts chapter 2, 
himself is our peace. He has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to Jews 
purifiable and peace to those who are purified. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Who thanks the God who has brought those who were far has made us one people in Christ Jesus. And so, this is truly, really, this is the one hope for our world. The one hope for humanity to be brought together as one, for peace. I think it's so funny because in our world we so love the idea of just you know, we want to live to bring people together and break down those barriers. And what do we do in our world? We create more and more barriers, more and more tribes, more and more toxic public engagement with each other because we're trying to just peace. Yeah, I don't know, whatever barriers you can, can think of today, political, liberal, conservative, racial, religious, keep trying to do what we can to paper over those differences. But church, we won't create a more harmonious society just by relativizing our differences and papering over them. No, no, we will, we will see it by breaking down those barriers, becoming one under the God who made all of us. That's the only way that brings us together. It won't be through cancel culture, right? The kind of thing that demonizes those who don't agree with present the other group as excusable and irredeemable. No, no. By the blood of the cross, the only perfect being who came to redeem all who believe in his name by bearing their sins upon the cross. And we keep trying so hard in our society to do that without peace. In fact, by cancelling peace. And it doesn't work. In fact, I was saying today, Christianity really, truly is the only multicultural, cross, uh, multi-ethnic movement that the world has ever seen. Because its mission is a universal one, one that has crossed every barrier and it brings people together. It doesn't send people away from one another. And church, as we bring this home now, I want to just make a few comments about what it means then to actually be a people who are on that mission, who can break and cross those Firstly, let's see, be a good culture of service. You know, church, we've got to be good culture of service, uh, both of the culture that's out there and around us and, and understanding uh, how people think and things that are driving us. But maybe even more importantly, to be a good cultural observer of yourself. What are the kind of assumptions that you make? What are the kind of worlds and cultures that you have you know, I once heard someone who said, well, they don't associate with that particular group of people because, well, you know, they keep wearing their shoes in my house, and so I don't want them over anymore. Now, what does it mean to actually understand where do my, my cultural biases come from? And, you know, I think that's actually what's so great about CMC community as, as a church actually trying to grow with a little bit more cultural diversity. Because, hey, if we were just a church of 18 to 35-year-olds from first or second generation migrant backgrounds with a professional degree. No, that's actually a very small portion of society. 
God laughs at me as digressive time. And you know what? If you're not from that tiny little bracket, we love you. We love you. We need you to keep growing as a church and kind of keep being able to see our own cultural blind spots and to keep learning from them. So number two, what does it mean? I think we've got to keep breaking down the barriers for the sake of the gospel. If we really need to embrace some of that weirdness, the awkwardness of when you enter into those spaces, because the gospel prompts us to. It's asking us to go through those places. It's not kind of just stay apart from them as though, well, you know, they're from a different group, different tribe, I'm going to stay away. I don't want them to pollute me. No, part of that is saying, well, am I willing to go to them? Not to run away. And yes, it might mean entering into bars or clubs or places that you might be really unfamiliar to. You know, to compromise your own godliness, of course, you know, have your own boundaries there. But what does it look like to go to those places? Be a cultural missionary. To be willing to cross those boundaries. And lastly, oh, Simon Scott, yeah, yes, you can. Yeah, we can do that within our church. We don't even have to go out beyond these walls. Let's start talking to each other, to, the, to, to those who are from a different generation, different demographic, different ethnic background. But the last one is to show how the gospel actually meets the needs of every culture. See, the message of Jesus' death and resurrection, it doesn't change. It does actually go to every nation, and it solves our biggest problem, our relationship with God. Now, we're actually going to talk a lot more about that over the coming weeks, because we're going to keep seeing the gospel now entering into these different and weird pagan contexts. But I actually want to finish with the story, because this is a great story that I uh, read about uh, earlier this week. The story of, a, of, a, of an Iranian pastor, okay? And he uh, talks about uh, how he came to Christ. He talks about the fact that he said, after finishing college in, in Saudi Arabia, I went to the United States to pursue my graduate education in engineering. But I have a dilemma. Islam teaches its followers not to present as Muslims. And in the Muslim world, do you truly believe that the United States is a Christian nation? In other words, that everyone born in America is born a Christian. So that's his introduction to kind of how he en ends up coming into contact with Christians in America. And what happens is he's actually taken in by an American family who show him incredible kindness and who turn out to be Christians. In November, this family invited me to their home for Thanksgiving dinner. Only then did I realize that this was a Christian family because they asked if they could pray before the meal. Well, I admit that my heart sank at that moment. I'd never realized that Christians are actually filled with love and not hate, as my Muslim upbringing had led me to believe. This family had never shared the gospel with me, but they had shown me what the gospel looked like. And on that day, I walked out of their home with great doubts about my faith and its teachings. I vowed, I vowed that I would do my re research on Christianity, hoping to learn more about how Jesus could make such a profound difference in someone's life, offering a kind of Christian joy I had never seen before. A few years later, after earning my master's degree, I joined a local engineering company. There I met another born-again Christian. I was impressed by his faith, his joy, his peace, and the light that seemed to shine forth from him. And when he invited me to his house for Christmas dinner, I noticed that his wife and kids had the same fellowship. They were just like the family I'd met in Turkey. At this point, I couldn't hold my curiosity back. I asked him, why was he so different to those around him?